You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, October 16th. Ohio State did not play yesterday. They were idle, but it was far and away the most consequential Saturday of the 2022 college football season so far. And I'd like to spend 15 to 20 minutes talking about a few of the bigger results from yesterday afternoon. But first, my apologies for the radio silence the last couple of weeks. I've been down with COVID for about the last 10 days, but I just tested negative for the first time this morning. So I'm psyched. I'm on the mend and I'm looking forward to the second half of what is looking like a pretty special 2022 season for our Ohio State Buckeyes. I first want to take kind of a statistical look back at the first six games for the Buckeyes. As we sit here right now, the Buckeyes are number two in the AP poll. I think we're we're still a few hours away from the release of the new AP poll, but right now the Buckeyes are number two. And we're still a couple of weeks away from the reveal of the first college football playoff rankings on November 1st. So look, you know, the AP poll, it's the best we've got. So for whatever it's worth, the Buckeyes are number two in that poll. Now, Jackson Smith and Jigba, has played a total of 38 snaps so far this season for Ohio State. He has four catches for 36 yards. We're talking about a player many thought was the odds-on favor to win the Bolitnikoff Award, a player that we thought might even be a dark horse Heisman candidate. 38 snaps and four receptions so far this season. And yet the Buckeyes are number two in the country in total offense. They're number one in offensive yards per, per play. They have what many think is the Heisman frontrunner in C.J. Stroud, a quarterback. Now, that's no surprise. A lot of us thought that's where Stroud would be sitting after six games, the Heisman frontrunner. Uh, however, uh, Hendon Hooker, by the way, at Tennessee might have something to say about that. Stroud, however, leads the country right now in passing efficiency. He's tied for the national lead in touchdown passes with 24. Sophomore phenom receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. is tied for second nationally in touchdown catches with nine. Emeka Ibuka is sixth nationally, averaging 109 receiving yards per game. And the Buckeyes have an excellent one-two punch in the rushing attack with Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson. Now, both backs have dealt with some injuries on and off through the first six games of the regular season, but both have played well when they've been in there. And as we understand it, their injuries are only minor. Now, Williams is seventh nationally in yards per carry at 7.8. Wow, who would have guessed that? And what a leap for Williams uh, this season from last. Williams is one of the key key players for Ohio State from what I would consider kind of the middle of the roster, a player who has evolved from a rotational player last year to a key, key contributor. I, you, you can almost call him a star for Ohio State so far through these first six games. So what a transformation for Williams, 7.8 yards per carry. That's good for seventh nationally. Now, the offensive line has been about as good as any in the country. I don't think there'd be any argument from anyone on that. New offensive line coach Justin Fry has made his presence felt. He has that unit playing with great toughness, nastiness, exactly what you would expect from an Ohio State offensive line. So kudos to Fry. And so far, the early returns really, really good from him and his unit. Now, defensively, Ryan Day's stated goal before this season was a top 10 defense. 
And after six games, halfway through this regular season, the Buckeyes are delivering just that. They're fifth nationally in total defense. They're eighth in defensive yards per play. I personally think they have three legitimate first-team All-Big Ten candidates in linebacker Tommy Eichenberg, defensive tackle Mike Hall Jr., and safety Ronnie Hickman. I think they may have a fourth in safety Lathan Ransom. I I think Ransom might very well earn himself some first-team All-Big Ten consideration with the way he's played. I think Ransom is probably their most versatile defensive back. He might be their most versatile defensive player, period. I think he's a player that Jim Knowles can trust both in coverage and around the line of scrimmage. So... I'm looking forward to seeing what Ransom can do in the second half of of the regular season. Right now, he's kind of splitting time with Josh Proctor at that bandit role. But I would not be surprised if if Ransom, uh, you know, ends up kind of taking hold of that position here down the stretch. Now, Knowles and cornerbacks coach Tim Walton have a little work to do here. And I hope they've made good use of the bye week. They need to figure out what the hell's going on at cornerback. Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, the starters at that at those positions, look, they battled injuries all season, but when they have played, it has been a mixed bag for the two of them at best. Both of them have been beaten in coverage uh, for long pass plays, long touchdowns at, uh, at different junctures during this season. Now, if you look around the country at, you know, passing attacks like Tennessee and Alabama, like what we saw yesterday, USC, the play at cornerback for Ohio State is not nearly good enough. Hell, maybe even a limited passing attack like Michigan looks scary to the Buckeyes right now with with the problems that they have at corner. We're hopeful perhaps J.K. Johnson can continue to develop. He's a a, a talented young player who has played a lot of snaps so far. Maybe he can step in and provide some stability at corner the second half of the regular season. There has been some talk of Jordan Hancock potentially coming back from injury and making an impact these last six games. A lot of folks thought Hancock was going to figure in big at corner before the season started. He's dealt with injuries through these first six games. I don't know how much you can count on Hancock. I mean, he's a kid who has barely played. He's still very young. He's been injured the whole season. I'm not sure what we could expect out of him if he is healthy and ready to play, but he's another player that might be able to help them. Whatever the case, Tim Walton needs to figure out his cornerback room, needs to stabilize that position, and uh, he's got to do it fast. Um, so that that's a challenge for this defense here looking forward for sure. I'd also like to see, although they have played well, I'd also like to see a little bit more uh, from the defensive ends. Uh, I, I, they, they're just not getting home for enough sacks. Right now, you know, only four total sacks from Ohio State defensive ends, two from Javante Jean-Baptiste, which I'm pretty sure were at garbage time, two from Jack Sawyer. Now, look, the defensive ends are generating good pressure, but so far, Zach Harrison and JT Tui Malowau, uh, zero sacks between the two of them. And uh, that just, I don't know, that, that doesn't seem right. It seems like uh, we should be expecting more and should be getting more production out of the two of them. Now, the big litmus test for this defense, of course, is still six weeks away against that Michigan rushing attack. But I think so far, certainly along the defensive line, linebacker, and its safety, so far, fans have to be happy with what they're getting from Jim Knowles' revamped defense. And we'll see what they can do at corner here over these last six games. So there were two games that I watched pretty much end-to-end yesterday that I think had a pretty big impact 
on Ohio State. The first, of course, was number 10, Penn State, at number five, Michigan. The second was number three, Alabama, at number six, Tennessee, which, man, delivered on expectations in every single way. What a game that was. That was one of the better games I've seen in the last five or six years. But I'm going to start with Penn State and Michigan. Now, the Wolverines end up pulling away in the second half to pulverize Penn State 41-17. But this had to be one of the strangest first halves of a game I think I've ever seen. Michigan dominated the first half. The Wolverines outgained Penn State 274-83. to They held basically a 24-6 minute advantage in time of possession and an absurd 18-1 advantage in first downs. That's right. You heard that right. Penn State won measly first down in the first half. But, you know, for all its success in between the 20s, Michigan had trouble converting in the red zone. And uh, that allowed Penn State to hang around. Michigan had four trips into the Penn State red zone, came away with only one touchdown. They had to settle for, for field goals, the three other trips. Now, Penn State was able to hang around, you know, based on the strength of some pretty good red zone defense. And then two big plays. A 62-yard run on a keeper by Sean Clifford on the zone read. That set up a touchdown run by Katron Allen from one yard out. And then a pick six by linebacker Curtis Jacobs on a tip pass from J.J. McCarthy on the ensuing Michigan possession. The pick six put Penn State up 14-13 to with 4.27 to play in the half. Now, the Michigan offense would put together an 11-play drive to kick a field goal to take the lead uh, just before the half, 16-14. Penn State would then come out in the first half, put together a scoring drive uh, to go up 17-16 on a 27-yard field goal by Jake Pinniger. And then the Michigan rushing attack would just completely take over. Uh, Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum would each score on 60-plus yard runs for the Wolverines on the Wolverines' next two possessions. And the game was basically over after that. On the day, the Michigan rushing attack bludgeoned the Nittany Lion front seven for 418 yards, 7.6 yards per rush, and four touchdowns. Donovan Edwards led the way with 173 yards on 16 carries and two touchdowns. Blake Corum, who is having a Heisman caliber season, I mean, there is no doubt about that. Corum has been awesome for the Wolverines this year. He contributed 166 yards on 28 carries and two touchdowns. Look, this Michigan rushing attack is real. And I think it looks more potent than a year ago because they have two backs now with home run hitting ability. I mean, Edwards and Corum both, again, had two touchdown runs. Each had a touchdown run of 60 yards or more yesterday. The Michigan offensive line, I mean, it looks like a candidate for another Joe Moore award this season. And if you watch that game yesterday through an Ohio State lens, I mean, the assignment is clear. On November 26th, the Buckeyes must match Michigan's toughness and physicality in the trenches. I mean, and we know toughness has been a major theme at the Woody since Michigan handed the Buckeyes their asses last November. The early returns tell us Ohio State is a tougher, more physical team on both sides of the ball than they were a year ago. But the final exam in that department isn't until November 26th. Now, I thought this game would be close, honestly. Uh, I was not surprised, though, that it turned into a Michigan blowout. I did not think Penn State would win this game, though I did think it would be close. I had no confidence whatsoever in James Franklin going into this game. I've never been a believer in Sean Clifford. I mean, man, Ohio State fans co complain about four seasons of, Jay, uh, of JT Barrett. I mean, imagine four seasons of Sean Clifford as your starting quarterback. Oh, my God. 
James Franklin is now 2-14 against AP Top 10 teams in his career. He's 0-12 against the AP Top 10 since 2016. And as a program, Penn State is now 2-20 against the AP Top 10 since 2008. And I think what's even more bleak for Penn State fans is James Franklin is 16-12 in his last 28 games, and he's 10-11 in his last 21 conference games. Yeah, for the second year in a row now, Penn State jumps out to a 5-0 lead and then folds like a house of cards when the competition starts to stiffen. Uh, Franklin, by the way, has a $75 million contract. So that's what Penn State is getting for its money. Uh, a, a distant third place finish for Penn State more than likely uh, after Ohio State and Michigan, whatever order they finish in. Uh, this cannot be the way for Penn State. You have to wonder how much more time Franklin is going to get. So, you know, that begs the question, and I don't mean to piss in Michigan's Cheerios, but I mean, look, I, look, I know there was a 10 next to Penn State, yeah, a number 10 next to their name going into that game. But I mean, was this really, and I'm doing this in air quotes, a top 10 team? I mean, 418 yards on the ground. Corum and Edwards, they're legitimately good backs. The Michigan offensive line, legitimately very good. I'm not going to deny that. But 418 yards rushing, I mean, come on. I think that says about as much as Penn State and their lack of competitiveness and their softness up front in that front seven as it does Michigan. You know, and, and what was lost in everyone waxing poetic in the postgame about the Michigan rushing attack was the performance of J.J. McCarthy. What are we witnessing this season in McCarthy? That's my question. I mean, okay, he's completing 77% of his passes so far, but mostly on very, very safe, short throws. I mean, he almost never throws over the middle. And yesterday, he was pedestrian. I mean, 17 to 24 for 145 yards. That's six yards per attempt. No touchdown passes. He had a really, really bad pick six. He had another pass, by the way, that he threw off his back foot when he was under pressure of a wounded duck that he ended up somehow completing, but it hung in the air forever. He should have never thrown. He was very lucky that that pass was not intercepted as well. I mean, the look on Harbaugh's face, they panned to Harbaugh on the sideline after he completed that throw was of a man who knew like he got very lucky on that play. You know, and, and, and Michigan, you know, they had five trips into the Penn State red zone. I made reference to this earlier, but on the game, five total trips into the Penn State red zone only came away with one touchdown. They are very vanilla and very predictable in the red zone. You know, look, I mean, if Michigan runs into a defense that has the personnel to limit their run game, can J.J. McCarthy carry them? with his arm? I think that's a pretty big question. Jim Harbaugh seems to <laughs> seems to be afraid to show us what McCarthy can do in an actual game. So far, he hasn't really needed to, to show us what McCarthy can do, fortunately for him. But, and, and, you know, look, none of Michigan's opponents so far has had the personnel to really limit their rushing attacks. So, but look, I, I have the feeling that on November 26th, potentially even before November 26th, but certainly on the 26th, Jim Knowles is going to try to put the game in J.J. McCarthy's hands, and then we'll, we'll really see what he can truly do. One other interesting result in the Big Ten yesterday, number 24, Illinois, Brett Bielema's squad 
handles Minnesota at home 26-14. And now the Illini are in the driver's seat in the Big Ten West. It was a very balanced attack by the Illinois offense, 252 through the air, 220 on the ground. Running back Chase Brown finished with 180 yards on 41 carries. Quarterback Tommy DeVito, 25 of 32 for 252 and a touchdown. And the Illinois defense stifles the gopher offense, 180 yards of total offense. The Illinois fighting Illini are now tied with Purdue for first place in the Big Ten West. They're not flashy, but hell, they're effective. And Illinois, by the way, right now, number one in the country in both total defense and defensive yards per play. And on offense, very effective running the football. They're averaging just under 200 yards per game. And they have a quarterback in DeVito who's completing over 70% of his passes. He's thrown 10 touchdowns to only two INTs. And look, man, they got a coach in Brett Bielema. Ain't his first rodeo. Right. This is a guy who knows how to win Big Ten football games. We saw him do do that a lot at Wisconsin before he left to take the Arkansas job. Circle this date on your calendar. November 19th, Illinois visits the big house to play Michigan the week before they go to Columbus to play Ohio State. I'm not sure that's a game Michigan is too thrilled about having to play before they get the Buckeyes. What a game in Knoxville yesterday. Tennessee 52, Alabama 49. It just felt like this game was coming for Alabama, didn't it? I mean, they dodged a couple of bullets earlier in the schedule, right? Last week against A&M and in week two against Texas. This Bama team, I mean, realistically, very easily could be four and three. Now, huge credit to Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker. He was 21 of 30 for 385 yards, five touchdown passes. Hooker also gave the Vols 56 yards on the ground. All five of his touchdown passes were to Jalen Hyatt. Man, he was amazing. Hyatt was. Hooker and Hyatt connected on touchdown passes of 36, 60, and 78. Seemed like Hyatt was running wide open behind the Alabama secondary all night. It was just so weird to see a Bama defense look so helpless against that Vols passing attack. I thought this game, quite frankly, was over midway through the fourth quarter. I thought Bama was going to survive. They got the easy scoop and score off a bad handoff exchange between Hooker and his running back to take a 49-42 lead. My thinking was there, you know, even if Tennessee could manage to score to tie the game up, which of course they did on a 13-yard touchdown pass from Hooker to Hyatt, I didn't think there was any way the volunteer defense had any hope of stopping Bryce Young from driving Bama straight down the field to retake the lead, which Young, by the way, almost did. Young managed to get Bama into field goal range at the Tennessee 32, but Will Reichard missed a 50-yard field goal attempt with 15 seconds to play, giving the balls hope. Now, I thought Tennessee was was just going to play for overtime. I mean, 15 seconds to go. You got the ball at your own 32-yard line. You're at home. Take a knee, play for overtime, right? Nope. Hooker completed passes of 18 yards and 27 yards to set the Vols up for a 40-yard field goal attempt. Tennessee place kicker Chase McGrath, the USC transfer, he hits a knuckleball. It was the strangest rotation I've ever seen on a a ball for a game-winning kick. I mean, I thought, I actually thought the, the kick had been tipped. It barely clears the uprights as time expires. Tennessee wins. What a game. The fans go crazy. They tear down the goalpost. They carry it out of Neyland Stadium, and then they throw it into the river. I mean, Knoxville, it's probably still drunk right now. What a game. That was so much fun. 
Now, of course, Alabama still controls its own destiny. Uh, the Tide can still win the SEC West and make the SEC title game. And if they win out, they will make the college football playoff. But those seem like pretty big ifs at this point. I mean, they have real issues on defense. And look, what are they offensively after Bryce Young's wizardry, right? I mean, a lot of magic from Bryce Young has really kind of kept the tide afloat so far this season. What do they have after him? I mean, Jameer Gibbs at running back, I think he's the only other skill player on offense that really scares you. And Bama still has to travel to number nine Ole Miss on November 12th. So I don't think we can say with any certainty that they're going to win that game after what we've seen so far. But it is still Nick Saban. And I think it'd be foolish to count him out, of course. But look, there are issues in Tuscaloosa, to be sure. And I think it's really the second season in a row. This is an imperfect Bama team, for sure. A lot of flaws. Now, for Tennessee, it's all about the November 5th trip to Athens to play number one Georgia at this stage, right? That is the game. That is that is the big test left on their schedule. I think they have a, a date with a, a pesky Kentucky team before that. But look, the SEC East and a trip to the SEC title game is going to be on the line on November 5th in Athens when Tennessee plays Georgia. That should be a hell of a football game. What a fun team Tennessee is to watch, man. And I think it's kind of cool to see a new playoff contender emerge, you know, from the usual suspects. Okay, real quick, before I let you go, USC's playoff hopes took a big hit last night after they lost on the road at Utah. How about Utah quarterback Cam Rising? Now, that's a name Ohio State fans will remember from the Rose Bowl last year. Rising outduels USC quarterback Caleb Williams. He finishes 30 of 44 for 415 yards passing and two touchdowns. Rising also ran for 60 yards and another three scores. But the big moment in this game came with 40 second, 48 seconds to play. Rising scores from one yard out on a fourth and goal on what we thought would be the game-tying touchdown. But Utah head coach Ty Willingham with brass balls elects to go for two. And hey, why not when you have Cam Rising? Rising punches it in for the two-point conversion, giving Utah a 43-42 to lead. The Utes would hang on to win. And that put the cap on what was a pretty awesome Saturday of college football action. So look, the college football playoff race is heating up. You have probably four legitimate contenders still in the SEC with Georgia, Tennessee. Yes, you still got to count Bama and Ole Miss. Ohio State and Michigan in the Big Ten, I don't think anyone would disagree, are legitimate contenders there. Clemson hung on in Tallahassee last night to beat FSU. The Tigers are still undefeated. They're going to be a factor in this race. They only have one top 25 team left on their schedule. That's number 18 Syracuse, who they get at home. Finally, I would also keep an eye on UCLA. That's Chip Kelly's squad with quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson. Now, the Bruins' biggest tests are still in front of them. They're at number 12 Oregon this coming Saturday, and then they're at home against USC on November 7th. But if UCLA wins those games, I think they could make things very difficult for the playoff committee. I mean, the Bruins could be a huge fly in the ointment for the committee. Okay, that's going to do it for me. The Buckeyes have Iowa. This coming Saturday, they're going to square off with the Hawkeyes at high noon in the horseshoe. Look for a preview of that game from Paige, Chad, and myself on the pod a bit later this week. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and go Bucks.
You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.